This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. I'm not satisfied that the underlying thesis for this podcast is true. Fuck, Peach! Right? Peach, it's episode uh, 125! Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I'm finally engaging with what this podcast <laughs> is about. It's taken me a while. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> I sort of had this thought. I was like, all right, we've done 125 of these now. Now let's just sit down and have a think about what's going on. Shag, um, we're sort of edging out from being a horror film podcast to being a self-care podcast, which we'll get to in a little <laughs> bit. But, like the, funny, like, the funny thing I've come to is, is it bad to be scared of horror films? And I feel like I've been appearing on this podcast with a very clear answer to that. And the answer is yes, it is bad to not like horror films or not be able to watch them, right? It is a flaw. It is an emptiness. It is a gap. It is a failure. It is a lack. It is fucked. And so I've been here to fix a fucked bit of me, and we're 125 sessions into fixing me because I'm fucked. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, like Shane, you and I have had some touchy feely chats off, off mic, the best place to have touchy feely chats, but we can have some on mic as well sometimes. And I'm in my self-care era, as we've said before, and I'm just approaching the, uh, the element of, like, maybe it is okay for me to be too scared to watch horror films. Maybe that's all right. So, first of all, mm. I don't think the underlying premise of this podcast is that it's a character flaw <laughs> not to be scared of horror films. In the same way that if you bought a how to play basketball book. Mm. It's not saying you're fucked because you don't know how to play basketball. <laughs> That's not the premise of the book. The book's saying, hey, if you'd like to learn how, mm. what, I, what I'm realising is I set up this podcast thinking, well, okay, well, mm. I thought maybe you'd want to get over your fear of horror films. On episode 125, <laughs> Peach, do you want to get over your fear of horror oh. films? Like, and so this is interesting. Of like, I'm like, well, and maybe subconsciously I've been undermining my superficial efforts to get over horror films. And maybe here we find ourselves. So, look, I'm in my self-care era, and one of the self-care things I've been doing is I'm like, what did I enjoy as a younger person that I can try to stitch back together? And we've spoken before about how I like cricket, and when we spoke about 50 Cent around about episode 60, we've spoken about how I love um, shit books written by people who can't write. And... At the moment, I'm reading um, another book by a former Australian test cricketer who has a really sort of poisonous, toxic personality. And what I've come to realise is that that's true of almost all of these cricketers. Like, you cannot be <laughs> a high-quality cricketer and a good bloke, I think, <laughs> in a certain era. Because... Hey, wait, 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 Peach. Is that libelous? Mm. Like, can somebody sue you for saying that? No, it's an honest opinion. Defensive okay. honest opinion. Because it's based on, so it's an honest opinion based on facts. <laughs> Fucking come at me, Matthew Hayden. <laughs> and so I'm reading this book and um, 
Because none of these books are actually about what you're interested in, which is the cricket. It's all about like settling scores of like, oh, the fucking selectors didn't pick me for this tour <laughs> because they were mates with fucking someone from a different state and they fucking picked their mates and oh, it was so shit. What an asshole. Anyway, I caught up with them 20 years later and they apologised for being an asshole. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> This chapter is about Matthew Hayden's first first tour of England, right? Um, and uh, he's, he's touring England on this, on this Ashes tour in 1993. And the Ashes is the annual contest between Australia and England. Every four years in England. Oh, sorry, every four years. Yep. It's, it's not connected to any worldwide league or anything. It's literally a match that happens between England and Australia. Yep. And people really care about it. It's a series of five matches or six 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 matches in England it used to be five five matches now and each test match for our overwhelmingly American listeners can go for five days and sometimes you can have no result so you can play for five days and go oh <laughs> no one won so, <laughs> and this is also the same series that Shane Warne bowled that ball we spoke okay, about yep. with Will the yep. other week Yep, yep, um, yep. So on his first day, um, Matt Hayden plays an English amateur eleven at a, a ground called Radlett. So if you're in if you're in if you're in America, like, it must sound very English. And he says this, and this is this nice um, toxic Australian cricket culture. My biggest challenge on my first day as an Australian batsman, batsman, of course, not batter, for just some complete misogynistic reason. Anyway came not from the English pace attack from the bowlers who were bowling at him, but from the charging rhino who confronted me on the bus on the trip home. The trip back to our hotel in London saw a full-on wrestling bout between a man who may have been a sumo wrestler in another life, David Boone, and someone who wasn't really spoiling for a rumble but was happy to oblige, me. <laughs> so they get in a wrestling match. Like, so they go play cricket and then they like, wrestle on this team bus. These like young men, in, like drunk young men in their early 20s. And it's like, oh, like it's okay for you to be fucked people because how could you get a good person out of, like, out of this scenario? <laughs> like, and so my self-care era has been reading lots of these books. He goes on to bat fairly poorly and doesn't get selected on that tour. Michael Slater does, plays brilliantly, gets a century at Lord's. But uh, so, that's another so, footnote for another time. So, 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 this mm. podcast started out and is still technically an exposure therapy podcast to get you and you listening over your fear of horror films. Mm. It's become a self-care podcast. Yes. Very recently, it's become a cricket podcast, which Great. I would have never expected. But first rule of creativity, just follow where it goes. Don't yep. try to tell it where it's going to go. So I'm just going with it. But something that's emerged over the past 50 episodes or so, mm. or maybe longer, but at least, you know, probably seriously over the past 50 episodes, is that we're becoming not just a film recapping podcast, but yes. a filmmaking podcast. Yes. And despite the fact that you may not ever want to get over your fear of scary movies, you clearly want to make some. <laughs> <laughs> and something okay? I hinted at last week mm. is I've been watching a lot of disparate sort of horror and horror-adjacent films and TV shows. Mm. And I've been getting so many amazing ideas for charcuterie. One of the things is that I think it's really important that charcuterie exists in an ongoing Marvel-esque universe where there's an overarching bad guy. And I'm taking reference from a British show from 2014 that not enough people saw called Utopia. And in fact, you probably didn't because it's so fucking hardcore and has some of the most awful violence I've ever seen in a TV show. Ooh. But essentially, it's, it's about a conspiracy of a bunch of people, and this is a spoiler alert, but honestly, if you're listening to this podcast, you're never going to see this TV show, <laughs> about a conspiracy 
of a shadowy group who want to reduce the world's population because they think otherwise climate change is going to ruin us all, right? And because of that, they do the most awful things because the end result is so important that they can torture children, they can do whatever, because at the end of the day, none of that matters because the end result is they're saving the human race, right? So what we need, I'm not saying that's that's that, but we need some overarching mm. bad entity or bad organization or something that's organizing everything. So, so charcuterie is like the first taste of what these people are up to. Me, pre-Spooko, or even first 50 episodes of Spooko would have been like, great, what demon from the hell dimension are we going to do? I have come to understand, Shag, probably what the utopia writers understand by the sounds of things, that people are the scariest. Yeah, 100%. We've just got to get some fucking capitalists in there. Just capitalism. <laughs> just just, exactly. just generally. Fuck, that's the fifth. That is the fifth point of the mm. Spooko Star, mm. a distrust of contemporary capitalism. Yes. So, so yes, yeah, so 100%. So that's it right now. You have told me multiple times mm. through your legal expertise mm. that you can't, copyright an idea you can only copyright an application of an idea is that correct yep expression yes that's right so i think that's really lucky for us because number one (laughs) number one we're gonna uh, we're gonna steal a whole bunch of ideas for our universe including an idea similar to that from utopia and i'll get that in a second but secondly Mm. we're gonna steal essentially the plot of a film that Samuel John sent to us. Peach, I'm so sorry to tell you that Charcuterie has essentially already been written and written in 1980 under the guise of a film called Motel Hell. One after another they come. Never hearing those sounds from the secret garden. Never suspecting they will soon be making those sounds. One after another they check in and pray for the day they can check out. Motel Hell. Coming October 31st from United Artists. Just in time for Halloween. I just can't think of a worse way to sell a film. It's like, oh, great. (laughs) (laughs) Never want to see that. (laughs) It's like, it's fucked. Uh, And I'm like, yeah, great. (laughs) 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 And the false voice, like, it's so funny when... Um, someone tries to go into horror film preview character of like I'm I'm doing a voiceover for a horror film, and you can just feel them mm. like, like you know when you sort of see the seams of someone doing a performance, and you can feel how uncomfortable they are and how uh, Shag. I know you put in the trailers, so everyone will have just heard the extremely poor performance of the voiceover <laughs> artist. He's like, it's real, like really <laughs> scary. It just sounds trash. Peach is just a normal man. <laughs> You'll go to mo- like uh, yeah, and the way they wrote those previews of like you're in this movie, it's you, you're at Motel Hell. It's but like, remember, this is the eighties, so it was like the train coming at the screen. It's like what <laughs> a real train! I was like all oh, that train. Like, oh my god, it was on the screen. Oh, that's crazy. But like, if you think of contemporary culture, like Die Hard came out like five years after this. 
You know, like, like how do you like how are these two things in the same universe? You know, like Die Hard could have been made yesterday. I don't know. It's such a fucking boring opinion to be like, I love Die Hard or Die Hard's a Christmas movie or I hate the word moist or whatever. It's like, I hate these borrowed opinions that yep. are just pop culture opinions and who gives a shit. But mm. Die, Die Hard is a piece of transcendent art yep. and there's a reason why it's lasted. But I do also think in the 80s, it was a lot easier to be a shit film, especially yeah. in the horror genre. Like, honestly, I know it's a controversial opinion to say movies are boring, but 80s movies, Ugh. 99% of them are unwatchable now. This, like, unwatchable. this trailer was one minute long. Right? And I was like, <laughs> oh my fucking God. <laughs> like, where is this going to end? <laughs> oh, Peach. All right. So you are one of the most ethical people I know. And <laughs> no, no, but you, you truly are because you live your ethics, right? Like yeah, okay. the, 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 way, the way you eat, you know, the way, the way you uh, respond to the environment, all of those sorts of things. And even if you don't, you're very, you're very self-aware of it, right? Yeah, it's a flaw in my personality that I need to fix. Yeah. But, but no, I'm just curious because... I have, like, this This movie's available to rent, but I also found it on the first page of results on, like, Vimeo to watch. So I was just yeah. like, fuck it, I'm just going to watch it for free. Is that okay by the peach scale of ethics? Uh, yeah, property is theft, I think, in the spooko, <laughs> <laughs> spooko economics. So intellectual property is also theft, so I'm very content with that, Shag. Intellectual That's property <laughs> is theft. <laughs> so creativity is for the people. I'm very comfortable with that. Actually, that's, that's a really good point because there's no such thing as an original idea. So the oh. idea of owning an idea is so ridiculous. Yeah, fuck people whose livelihoods rely on creative arts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just we want to watch it for free. So. <laughs> <laughs> but generally, also like, uh, do pay for your content. I did this. I feel weird about it, but hey, sometimes are, that's the only like, way to we watch. We are joking content. around, but like, not paying for the work of creative artists is a choice that is available to us all, and often it's quite a convenient and easy choice, mm -hmm. and it's the wrong choice to make. And it's not wrong because it's more it's bad to steal, right? It's not stealing; it's infringing copyright. That's a completely different thing. Um, what it is, is taking the benefit of someone's, you know, investment of time and investment of resources and failing to account for that to them, which is just going to make it a tiny, tiny, tiny bit less likely that someone's going to do the same creativity in future. And if we want to live in a world with exciting films and exciting music and people who can be artists and don't have to work second and third jobs, you know, <laughs> then we need to be in a world where we pay the appropriate amount for art. So... Shag and I aren't the poorest and so you don't hear us jumping up and down on Patreon or selling merch or whatever it is but if I can just get a little bit serious like on those podcasts you like and support if they're asking for you know you to sign up to their Patreon or whoever it may be I think there's not quite ethical obligation but if that's the sort of art you want to see created then that's the sort of art you've got to pay for I think if you want people to keep making it Peach I think I knew deep down that you would have the right answer and make me feel bad enough that I will probably go and just make a quick rental of Motel Hell after this <laughs> to make up for what I just did. No, no, but I genuinely think that. Like, you're right. Like, that's so true. That is such a great argument. And I knew you would have that off the dome. Well, that's your boy. You, you are not just a freestyle rapper. You are a freestyle moralist. And it is <laughs> so... Like, that is such a skill... In in an age of mistruth and yeah, it's why they pay me the big bucks. It's why we're not <laughs> asking for Patreon. <laughs> hey, what did you think? Like, were you thrilled when Fifty Cent came down in the 
Super Bowl halftime. I didn't expect that. I, I was thrilled <laughs> yeah. that they did that they did it again. He looked really uncomfortable. I mean, that's the only thing. He just didn't look like it was easy for him to do that. He's 30 kilos heavier. He's like 20 years later. You know, like he did that as like a 21, 22-year-old when he did it in the video clip and he's now like 45 or whatever. And, he, and he's not a light dude and all the blood went to his head and you feel for him. But good on him. There are so many opinions about that Super Bowl halftime show. But I think for me, the fact that it made Kendrick Lamar feel like a support act is pretty insane. Like, that's crazy. There's a, there's a TikTok account I follow that I find really interesting that's like a uh, um, certain movie stars on steroids or not, right? And it's like, oh, yeah, so they'll, they'll track, you know, Hugh Jackman in 2000 and 2005 and 2010 or whatever. I don't, like, I don't know anything about this. I just find it fascinating when, like, people do gotchas on stuff that I know nothing about. But I remember you showing me the Dr. Dre 2010. And so every time they put a video up, I'm like, Dr. Dre's 2010 appearance at the, <laughs> at the BET Awards or whatever it was. Um, but, yeah, like Motel Hell looks pretty sick. A lot like uh, the yeah. half, Super Bowl halftime. So that's, that's sort of how those two things come together. So Motel Hell mm. from 1980. Now, what's interesting about this, mm. the genesis of this film and the genesis of charcuterie are eerily similar. So this was created as... A kind no of... way are they a podcast no. to, to high school friends. <laughs> but but so this was this was imagined as a bit of a satire mm. of the modern horror films that were modern at the time, Psycho and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. In the same way, you've been listening to all these horror movie recaps and you've mm. come up with this idea yourself. So it's the it it, it is a very similar genesis. Um, so anyway, uh, we have farmer Vincent Smith and his younger sister Ida live on a farm with an attached motel named Motel Hello. But the O keeps on, flickering what? on the and o, off. What? The O flickers on and off. <laughs> that is the most. Um, what's the comedy line for it? Hack. That's the most hack thing I think I've ever heard in my life, and surely even in 1980 that was hack. So the farmer Vincent is renowned for his smoked meats. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip I'm I'm the first time on the I'm gonna do some on the fly live editing of this Wikipedia yep. page because it gives it away straight away and I just want to get into the story a bit what? before I get because to the best he's part. He's a cannibal of who kills all the guests. <laughs> well, yeah, but 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 there's there's more to it. All right. So it starts with Vincent shoots out the front tire of a couple's motorcycle. They're riding in one of those like old timey World War II sidecar motorcycles with the helmet and the goggles and the scarf and all that stuff. The male, Beau, is placed in the garden, but Vincent brings the female, Terry, to the motel. Sheriff Bruce, Ida, and Vincent's naive brother arrive the next morning. Vincent tells Terry her boyfriend died in the accident and was buried. So... Okay, yes. Yeah. And then there's this weird thing in this town where... I'm trying to remember, like, to be honest, I was finding it hard to pay attention to because it was a horror movie from 1980. But What speed did you watch it on if it was on YouTube? Like I 1. watched it on 75? one and a half speed. Oh, one and a half. Well, one that's and a half. all right. So I could still make out the dialogue. Yeah, did you get but much But there was zero attention. Not much. Yeah, I got some work done in the background. Did the captions, were the captions accurate? Did the captions weren't accurate at all. <laughs> oh, buddy, bugger. And they went really quickly. <laughs> So so this farmer is the brother of the sheriff and there's some sort of rule in this town because as I, as I understand, American states and districts all have like different law systems. So it's like you can go to a completely different state and all of a sudden the laws are different and, you know, they can do things differently. 
America's fucking scary. I'm so I'm so pleased we're never going to go. <laughs> so 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 so. Apparently, in this town, I think if someone dies near your property or on your property, you can just go bury them, and that's the end of that. And it's like, yeah, police. That person died. They're buried, and that's the end of that. It's like, oh, so can I see the body to make sure? It's like, no, 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 no. It's, it's no, fine. no, because she wakes up and he's like, oh no, I buried him while you were sleeping. Ooh. <laughs> A trip to the graveyard shows his crude grave marker. With nowhere to go, Terry decides to stay at the motel. She gradually becomes... <laughs> I love that it's like a business development strategy he's got mm. to like... <laughs> so, and remember, like, Vincent is like an old man and Terry's like a youngish girl. So the fact that Terry decides to stay at the motel and gradually becomes attracted to Vincent's honest manner and folksy charm is a bit gross. Yeah. Uh, and that's much to Bruce, the younger sheriff brother's dismay, who tries to woo her without success. And there is that element hell. of... This dude just died, like, today. She's... Mm. Yeah, okay. But there's also that element in this film, very typical of 80s films, not that I'm trying to justify me pirating it, but uh, that element of, like, well, one of us owns her. It's either going to be you or oh, me. Oh, God. Like, th- one I of us is going to Nazi woo style, I'm very happy to steal this film, Shagger. I think... <laughs> If we take the ethics to the full extension, is it okay to steal from dickheads? <laughs> I think yes. I think so. Do not do not pay to see this film. You have my ethical endorsement. So Vincent captures more victims by placing wooden cardboards of cows in the middle of the highway to cause his victims to stop, allowing him to capture them. He also places a fake ad and lures in a pair of swingers, believing the hotel to be a swinging joint. And not like a, hey, is this a swinging joint, you hip cats? But like a swingers joint. The next day, Vincent suggests he teach Terry to smoke meat. Ida becomes jealous and attempts to drown Terry. This, I think we're all almost halfway through into the film. They go out onto the lake in, like, rubber rings, and Terry's like, I can't swim, and Ida's like, oh, neither can I, but then she pops the ring and, like, uh, and Terry almost drowns. This is baffling. This is, like, I'm, I'm straining to... Wait, 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 okay. wait, wait. wait. Strain harder, because Vincent then arrives, saves Terry, which causes Terry to fall in love with Vincent and him completely, and she tries to seduce Vincent. Vincent denies her advances, saying they must marry first. She agrees to marry the following day. It's like a story out of the what? Bible. What the fuck's going it's on like here? A... <laughs> Didn't someone like, get a motorcycle shot off yes. at the start of this film? Yes, and get yes. Okay. So Bruce visits... This is not much like charcuterie, I should say, as well. So I'm <laughs> no feeling way. fairly comfortable. Wait, 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 wait. So Bruce visits the motel to protest Terry's choice. He tells Terry that Vincent has syphilis of the brain. <laughs> Vincent arrives and drives off his brother with a shotgun. Vincent, Terry and Ida drink champagne, but Ida drugs Terry's glass and she faints. Ida and Vincent then prepare some drinks for the wedding. Meanwhile, Bruce investigates the disappearances and becomes suspicious of his brother. Okay, so this is when we discover what he's been doing, right? So, like, so how far into the film are we? So we're like, all, we're probably two thirds of the way in the. Oh my film. God! Okay, yes. Okay, so, so we know that he sets traps on the highway to like capture people. Yep, including cardboard cows, which is really funny. <laughs> yeah, what he then does, and this is actually pretty creative and this is where I'm like okay this is an interesting thing for Spooko because Mm. for the charcuterie was like let's just copy the way that people slaughter animals this is a little bit different right this Mm. is like let's copy how we grow crops 
So he buries the victims up to their necks in his secret garden, cuts their vocal cords so they can't scream, and then force feeds them until they're ready to be harvested, then wraps nooses around their necks that he ties to a tractor and snaps their neck while pulling them out of the ground. That is so upsetting. Is that not? But it's pretty like it's pretty good for a like for uh, a cannibal that hotel. Is chilling. <laughs> like the slicing the vocal cords is always like that always gets it. Like we had that again in our um teen film one, the other Australian teen mm. film one, the name of which uh, that they couldn't sell to any Americans the other <laughs> week. Um The loved ones. Loved ones. Loved one. Loved one. Yeah, there's something about Something about slicing the vocal cord, like leaving you alive and sort of disempowered. Uh, yeah, eyeball, vocal cord, Achilles tendon, base yeah. of the spine, all the worst places to have an injury in a horror film. I suspect horror film can't do genital violence because there'd be some like... Because I would not like to get stabbed in the penis or something like that. I think that would be very, very painful. I presume we don't do that. We don't really explore that in horror films, which which is which I'm very comfortable with. I don't want to think about someone's penis getting sliced up. I mean, it does happen. And Antichrist, Lars von Trier's film that we covered quite a few episodes ago is yeah. a pretty notable example of that. But I think you're right. And once it does happen... It's a conscious choice to do that because then you know that's the thing people are going to be talking about in your film. Nothing yeah, else. Yeah, okay. Because, like, they probably do it in Jackass or something, don't they? They put a nail through someone's dick or something. Yeah. And you go, oh, how crazy is that? <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, like, I, I don't think there would be much... Look, I don't want to see genital mutilation. I guess I'm pleased that I don't think we've bumped into it is probably the point I'm trying to come to. Have we? Have you seen it much? Does it come up? Uh, it doesn't show up much. And, like... There's, there's a notable, uh, I guess, genre trope of cutting a rapist's penis in the rape revenge genre oh, in yeah. the sort of I spit it on your grave, last house on the left, that sort of thing. That yeah, does happen quite a bit. And in that case, again, it, 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 not that I enjoy that genre at all, but it makes sense within the genre because it's all yep. about, about gender-based violence yep. and thus the retribution has to kind of be, you know, gender-based. Yep. Okay, so Vincent and Ida kill three victims in the way that I described and take them to the slaughterhouse. As they remove the victims' bodies, the dirt around Bo loosens and he begins to escape. Bruce sneaks back to the motel to rescue Terry, but Ida returns. She ambushes Bruce and knocks him out, then holds Terry at gunpoint to the meat processing plant where Vincent reveals his secret. And at this point, it's something like, it takes all critters to make farmer Vincent's fritters. They have some sort of line like that that's really Uh. funny. Terry, remember, fell in love with Vincent, but she's now horrified by the prospect of smoking human flesh. And now she's not in love with Vincent anymore because that's how love works. It was, so it was not unconditional love. Yes, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> the condition was <laughs> no murdering. Now, you so, don't yeah. smoke any human flesh. <laughs> yeah, they probably should have put that in their vows. But, okay. Hey, yeah. divorce question. If I put something in my vows and then 
they break that thing in the vow. Is that a legal contract? Absolutely no idea. Like I've seen like two or three letters in family law and it's like they're written by aliens or something. It's like, Shane like, got finance for the car and I paid rent for the first apartment we lived in. And it's like, I'm like, well, what the fuck are we even talking about? Like, okay. Like, I think family law doesn't count as real law is my understanding. Family law is what's up. Um, you stink. Um, get at me, I guess. But okay. I love you, family lawyers. I'm joking around. So You're crazy for this one, family lawyers. Meanwhile, Bo escapes and frees the other victims from the garden. Mm. Ida goes back to the motel to get something to eat, but the victims attack her and knock her out. Terry tries to escape, but Vincent gasses her and ties her to a conveyor belt that is slowly moving towards like a meat processing blade thing. So it's not a little farm. Like I thought it was a farm and a hotel with a meat processing plant. Yes. It's got a meat processing plant at the back where, he's, where he makes farm of Vincent's meats. Okay. So he's interrupted by Bo, who crashes through a window, but Vincent strangles the weakened Bo. He gets so much done. He must be in the 5am club, this guy. <laughs> like, he must do... <laughs> All right, so Bruce awakens and finds one of his brother's shotguns. He goes to the plant, but finds that his brother has armed himself with a giant chainsaw and placed a pig's head over his own as a gruesome mask. Vincent disarms his brother. Like, I'm just rushing through it because it's like... We've heard the, the cool bit of the film. Yeah, okay. During the fight, the belt restraining Terry is activated, sending her slowly to a cutting blade. Despite his wounds, Bruce drives the chainsaw deep into Vincent's side. Bruce frees Terry and returns to Vincent. He gasps his final words, leaving the farm and secret garden to Bruce and lamenting his own hypocrisy for using preservatives. What? Oh, so sorry. His final words is like, you can have the farm. Yeah, he's like, you can have the farm. I shouldn't have used preservatives in all my human meat. That's, that's his regret. Okay, yep, cool. Bruce and Terry go to the secret garden and find only Ida, who is buried head first. So remember, Ida, Ida got captured that's by right. all the people who were freed, so they've gone and, you know, repaid what yep. she did to them. As they leave the motel, Bruce comments he's glad he left home when he was 11. A little bit of story building at the very end Amazing. of the film. <laughs> Terry suggests burning the motel, claiming it is evil. The neon sign saying motel fully short circuits, permanently darkening the O. That's the end of Motel Hell. We say it a lot, but firstly, that is, I think, the worst one we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sucked. Like, I, I just... I mean, that's deeply under-conceived, I think. There's sort of one, one concept of, like, how crazy would it be if someone killed people and sold it as meats, right? But also cultivating people like plants, you know, in the most horrific way possible, I, I think is a pretty interesting way to kill in a horror film. And I think that is absolutely a redeeming feature for Motel Hell. It's a huge non-secateur. Like, it's just actually just bizarre. Like, I, I, I mean, it doesn't follow... Log and not everything has to be logical, but <laughs> it certainly does... Like, there is certainly no logic underpinning why don't we treat humans like plants? I mean, that's not a... <laughs> that's not a... <laughs> actually, that's... Because you, you're right, because they're not making, like, human bread. Well, yeah, exactly. Or, like, they're making human sausage, which is typically made from animals. So... 
it, you're right. Following that, they should be yeah. treating the humans like cat. You know, again, it's still a horrific concept, but they should be treated like cattle, not like plants. Well, it's bizarre. It's like, oh, I'm putting them in, you know, a big children's ball pit with poison or fucking whatever. It's like, okay, well, like, great. This has nothing to do. <laughs> like, it's just a total non secateur. Um, the second point is I reject any comparison between this film and charcuterie. This is another cannibal film that does not address the, you know, flavour profile, the pleasure of eating, the pleasure of eating human meat Mm. and the way that it can link to one's attitude to food. Peach, there is a scene that Wikipedia Mm. doesn't describe where they all sit down and eat the ham and they're all like, wow, this ham's delicious. So there's that. I guess fried green tomatoes, they do that as well. Um, Wait, is fried green tomatoes about like... I thought that's... I think that's right. Isn't it Kathy Bates? Like, I I think I've seen it. Kathy Bates is in it. There's like a local rapist who gets murdered and turned into barbecue. Is that what the film's about? Oh, my gosh. And and everyone's like, well, a great barbecue. And they're like, yeah, it's pretty nice. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, it's pretty yum. Don't look. (laughs) Just enjoy it and don't worry about it. I think that would be the problem, right? Because you have to hang meat. And meat that's well hung is like hung for four work. A cow that's well hung is hung for four to six to eight to ten weeks. And humans have got a lot of blood in it. Like, Shag, if you killed me now and wanted to eat me for dinner, I'd just, the me steaks would just be wet with blood. Like, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't do it. You'd have to cut my neck open and hang me upside down for all the blood to come out, right, to get my heart to my final pumps. Also, the, the sixth element of Spooko is absolutely how you would eat peach and why you would because yeah. it'd be delicious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think we will stress test charcuterie better than this was stress tested. <laughs> I'm looking forward to hearing more about the upcoming writing camp and I think it's going to deliver a better piece of literature than any Australian cricketer of any era has ever delivered. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Reshes, what's up? It started not long after we left the ground. In the true style of those times, there were beers on offer on the bus And after a first-up century, I'd enjoyed a few and was feeling like king of the world. I was down the back with Merv and AB when Booney challenged me. As young and naive as I was, I knew there was one certainty about the contest. If I beat Booney, no one would challenge me for the rest of the trip. He was as strong as an ox, and he came at me hard. We began relatively calmly, but it all changed when he pushed me headfirst into the side of the bus. There was an almighty crack, which I think was the bus, and not, mercifully, Booney or me. How we didn't go straight through the window and end up rolling down the highway is still beyond me. By this stage, the boys were egging us on. It became a battle of egos as well as bodies, a full-on world wrestling federation between Hitman Hayden and bad-to-the-bone Boone. Despite this, there was no malice involved. It started out as a bit of fun, but then it became a little more serious. It was the old bull versus the young bull. Pride was on the line, and there are few prouder characters than Booney. I grabbed him in a headlock and powered him down to the back of the bus, jamming his head between two seats. Do you give up? Do you give up? I roared. No, came a muffled reply. When Booney started making gurgling sounds, I let him go for fear I was choking him. But he's one of those blokes who never gives up. On the cricket field or in the back of a bus. Even when he's in danger of finishing with a giraffe-sized neck on his rhinoceros-sized body. (laughs) What? Like, is it okay that he keeps referring to him as different 
animals he, like, that are all... Through this whole book, he compares everything to animals. <laughs> like, so he grew up on the country and used to drink a lot of milk. And then he starts at boarding school and it turns out he drinks all the milk that was meant to be shared among all the boys. And he's like, there I was, like a fat spider, having drank all the milk. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, like a, a spider, spider who drank all the milk. He got back up and we kept at it. And I forced him back into the same spot twice more. Each time I asked him whether he would give up and he was defiant. He was unbelievably tough. Finally, through sheer exhaustion, we stopped and limped our separate ways. But I felt confident he wouldn't challenge me again on tour.